Good morning. It's so good to see you today. We're so thankful for the guests that we have. We appreciate you and want you to know that you're welcome here at Midway anytime. If you have not already done so, we would ask that you fill out one of the blue cards that's in, front, in the pew in front of you. Just leave it on the end of the pew or hand it to me or one of the elders at, after the end of the uh, service today. I do want to say thank you to Cole for preaching last Sunday. That flu bud sort of got in our house and uh, it uh, got just about everybody who'd been there. Uh, all the grandkids, or at least most of the grandkids, all tested positive for the flu. I'm not sure who brought it. I blamed it on my son-in-law. He's the best one to blame, I guess. But uh, we all have sort of gone through it, and uh, hopefully everything's about uh, better. Uh, we haven't been running any fever or anything like that for several days now, and feeling better, just still down in the chest and everything. So we'll, uh, we'll get over all of that here before too long. Have you ever been stopped at a traffic light, somebody pulls up beside you and they've got one of those big boom boxes, you know, the whole car begins to shake because of, uh, of the music that they've got playing, and, and they've got some music on there, it's got some bass in it, and you know, it just rattles everything, just shakes the foundation, it seems, of, of everything that's around. You know, that sometimes can be scary when, when you don't know that somebody's pulled up beside you and all of that, all that starts happening and, you know, and then you look at them like they've lost their mind. Uh, they've already lost their hearing, evidently, because they can't hear anything, you know, because it's already gone. Well, I want you to think about something not like that, but as you think about it, it's found in the book of Isaiah chapter 6 at verse number 4. The Bible simply says this, and the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. You know, that's a, that's a mighty voice, isn't it? Someone who, when they speak, the very foundations of the temple of heaven began to shake. But who is it that is speaking that way? Well, Isaiah describes them, in Isaiah chapter 6 at verse number 2 should be, the Bible says each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And you know that as you read in that passage that the, they're simply called the seraphim, the way it's translated in our English testaments. It's, it, it is a transliteration, if you will, of the words that are in Hebrew. Uh, the word itself means something like to burn. And in the book of Isaiah chapter 6, the only time we read about these creatures that, that we find there. Brother Wayne Jackson says in regard to these creatures that evidently they are some sort of created beings that God had made for, uh, to serve the purposes of deity. We don't know a whole lot about these magnificent creatures, but wouldn't you like to know more about the seraphim? Wouldn't you like to know more about these six-winged creatures that when they speak, the very foundations of the temple of heaven are shaken? That would be something awesome to be able to know more. But you know, as we think about this passage and what is said here, the emphasis that is being made, that Isaiah makes, is not necessarily regarding the seraphim. Uh, that's not his prime focus. He mentions them. He tells us what they're doing, what they're saying. But his primary emphasis is not on them. His emphasis is on something different. It's on what happens to Isaiah. It's on what Isaiah sees. It's on what Isaiah is called upon to do. 
And so what we want to do today in the time that we have uh, together in studying from God's Word is not look at the seraphim, but look at the other emphasis or the main emphasis of what we find here in the book of Isaiah chapter number 6. And so what we'll do is we'll see that there are three primary looks or three primary uh, concerns, if you will, that, that Isaiah uh, takes a look at, that he himself looks at. And as we study these three together, I want you to remember the theme that we'll be undertaking to accomplish in this next year that our elders have mentioned to us already back in earlier in the month of December. And what we'll do is we'll sort of look at the emphasis that we find here in the book of Isaiah. We'll apply it to what we will be doing in 2018 as we begin that just in a few hours, that, that new year. And then we will uh, continue on from there to make some applications for today. As we think about that, we note, number one, that Isaiah had somewhat of an upward look. Again, back in Isaiah chapter 6, notice in verse number 1, the Bible says, In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. As you look there, you see that as Isaiah has been called into the presence of God, he sees God. I want you to notice that the Bible says, Isaiah said, I saw the Lord. He, he saw those seraphim who were there. He knew what they were doing. He knew what they were saying. He evidently felt the, the shaking of the temple as, as they spoke. But Isaiah said, I saw the Lord. He had that upward look, if you will. He, he saw the one that really needed to have been seen. I saw the Lord sitting upon his throne, high and lifted up. Not only that, but in verse 3, the Bible says, And one called to another, that's the seraphim that we're talking about, and they said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is full of His glory. There are some of the commentators who say that these seraphim were saying, Holy, 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 in reference to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, that term is again used in the book of Revelation where uh, holy, holy, holy is mentioned. But as we think about it, this is the one, this upward look that Isaiah had focused him on the one sitting on the throne and what those who were around him were doing not for themselves, but were doing in regard to the one who was sitting on the throne. He had that upward look. Now, when Isaiah saw the one sitting upon the throne, there are some things that he saw. He saw the God of heaven, of course, but Isaiah saw a God who is alive. He was alive on the day that Isaiah himself saw him thousands of years ago. And the same God that was sitting on that throne on that day is still alive today. You know, a number of years ago, there was a controversy, I guess back in the 50s or 60s. Someone said that God is dead. Well, God is not dead. The universe still goes on. It's still maintained by His power. Our God is alive. When God came down and lived among men, spent 33 years as we know Him, Jesus, the Son of God, mankind crucified Him. 
Mankind put him in that grave. Mankind rolled a big stone and sealed that stone so that, that he couldn't get out. But on the third day, he did. And he is alive. He ascended back and is sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. Isaiah back then, as he had that upward look, saw a God who is alive. But not only did Isaiah see a God who is alive, Isaiah saw a God who is in charge. Notice again what Isaiah said. I saw him sitting on the throne. You know, the very language that he uses there implies one who is in charge, doesn't it? A king sitting upon his throne is the one who from that point says, I have the right, I have the authority to, to maintain a kingdom, to maintain order in that kingdom, uh, to give directions in regard to the citizens of that kingdom. He saw a God who was in charge. He was sitting on the throne. When we think about Jesus, the Bible says in the book of Matthew that all authority has been given to Him in heaven and on earth. We're to follow His commands because He today is still in charge. But not only did Isaiah see a God who is in charge, Isaiah saw a God who is omnipotent. That's a long word. It simply means that He is all-powerful. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 6 at verse 4 that his throne, or verse 1 rather, his throne is high and lifted up above all the other thrones. There's not another king who is alive or who has ever lived who could come in comparison to the, to the power that this king has, this God has. Jesus is said to be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is omnipotent. He spoke and the world took shape. He spoke and out of darkness came light. He spoke and everything that has been created is created. When Jesus came to this earth, Jesus could take someone who was sick and make them well. He could take someone who had a limb that was uh, handicapped and make it well. He could take someone who didn't have a, an arm or didn't have a leg and give them a new one. He was the same one who walked on the water. He was the same one who rebuked the weather. Peace be still. And everything became calm. And he was the one who walked out of the grave. He is still omnipotent today. Not only did Isaiah see that, he saw a God who is resplendent. What do we mean by that? The word resplendent means brilliant or splendid in appearance. Did you notice what he said? When Isaiah saw this God sitting upon that throne, he says about his, uh, the train of his robe that it filled the temple. You know, the very, the very way in which he portrays him as being clothed is, is magnificent. You know, when you think about some, uh, uh, some uh, ruler of some you know, country, perhaps a king or a queen, you may think of the way in which they're dressed. A few years ago, Marlene and I went over to Atlanta. We were, uh, went to, I forgot exactly the name of the museum, but they had some of Princess Diana's clothing. Uh, I think even the gown that she wore when she got married. You know, you, you think about someone, something like that being sort of magnificent. It really wasn't all that spectacular in my opinion, 
But I, if I had, had I seen what Isaiah saw, I would have been amazed like him. He saw the resplendent king. The very train of his robe filled the whole temple. But not only that, he saw a God who is revered. What happened when the, those who were around him uh, uh, looked at him? Not even the seraphim, those magnificent creatures, would look. Do you remember what it said about the wings? Two covered their face. Two their feet and with two they flew. A God who is revered. God, Isaiah not only saw that God, but he saw a God who is holy. Again, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. In both the Old and the New Testaments, the word translated holy means to be set apart. But let me ask you something this morning. From what can you separate God that makes him holy? If he's holy, 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 from what can you separate him that makes him holy? And as someone put it, it's not original with me, you separate him from everything that is not God. You see, he's one of a kind. He's in a class all his own. He is separate from you and separate from me. And because he is holy, because he is separate, because he is one of a kind and in a class by himself, he is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our respect. You see, the seraphim said, holy, holy, holy. But not only did Isaiah see that God who was holy, he saw a God who is glorious. The Bible says his splendor fills the earth. It's hard for us to even begin to imagine the sight that Isaiah saw. But we are under the same God. We have the same God. I want to challenge us this year as we look upward to remember who God is and what He deserves from you. You see, He deserves your respect. He deserves for you to honor Him. He deserves for you and for me to worship Him in a way in which He has described and prescribed in His Word. You see, I'm, I'm not worshiping God in a way that makes me feel good. I'm not worshiping God in a way that I choose. I worship God because of who He is, and I worship Him in the way that He teaches me to do that. And so as we look upward in this coming year, let's all seek to remember who God is. We are not God. Our Society tries to make each of us a God. To choose to do the things that we want to do. To choose to do the things that please us. But on the day that Isaiah began his look, if you will, he looked upward and he saw a God. A God who deserves our honor even this very day. Not only did Isaiah look upward, Isaiah also looked inward. Look at verse number 5 of Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah said, And I said, Woe is me, for I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people 
of unclean lips. You see, Isaiah was forced to look at himself as well. He said, I'm lost, I'm ruined, is the way that, what the word itself means. I'm perished. In a literal sense, the word means to be silenced. You see, Isaiah, when he looked at himself, recognized that he wasn't even worthy to lift up his voice in the grand chorus of holy, holy, holy. He's silenced because he and his people are people of unclean lips. What does that mean? You see, Isaiah simply recognized the fact that he and his nation were sinners. That they needed something. That they were unclean people. Viewing himself in contrast with a holy God revealed just who he was. You know, thankfully... Heaven itself steps in. In Isaiah chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, the Bible says that one of the seraphim flew to him, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. Isaiah said, He touched my mouth, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. You see... Even as Isaiah viewed himself as one who was unworthy, God himself evidently directed one of his seraphim, one of his attendants, one of those who was serving God to help Isaiah, to make it possible for him to be able to be in his presence. Isaiah couldn't make himself worthy, but God himself could cleanse him. You know the same is true for us. It's through the blood of Jesus Christ that God cleanses us of our own sins. Do you remember what's said in the book of Hebrews chapter 10 verses 19 through 22? Listen to the words of the writer. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain that is through His flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Contrasting ourselves with a holy God, we're blemished, we're unclean, we're sinful. Every one of us, every one of us who's reached the age of uh, being able to know the difference between right and wrong have become sinners. But God Himself stepped in for you and for me. He's made it possible through the blood of His Son for us to come into His presence and one day for us to be able to live in His house with Him for eternity. Folks, as we think about it, we need to look at ourselves. We need to consider ourselves. We need to take that inward look and be so thankful for what God has done for us. Think about what is said in the book of Ephesians chapter 5. Beginning at verse 25 and going through verse 27. 
Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. You see, it's possible for us to be made like God. Through the blood of His Son, God made it possible. But did you catch in both of those readings from Hebrews chapter 10 and from Ephesians chapter 5 that God said something about the washing of water? The watery grave of baptism is the way that we would put it. For it's there that we're buried with Christ. And it's there that His blood cleanses us from the sin that we have in our life. And it's because we've contacted that blood in baptism that His blood is there. It's always there to be able to cleanse our sins as we continue to walk in the light as He is in the light as we studied this past Wednesday night. But we have to look inward. And when we do, we see that sinner. This year, let me again challenge you as you look inward to look and to see or Are there changes that you need to make? Are there sins that you need forgiven? You see, you can't do it all on your own like Isaiah couldn't do it on his own. When he looked, he saw who he was. And thankfully, God stepped in. And God has stepped in for you and for me. It may be today that you need to be baptized in order to have the forgiveness of sins that you have in your life. If you've never done that, you're still in your sin. You need to come to Him. To allow Him to cleanse your sins by His Son's blood. It may be that in the past you have done that, but you have found yourself in a sinful situation again. That you need God's forgiveness. And we we would ask you today, let us pray with you and for you that your sin might be forgiven. It may be that you need to make some changes in your life. You look at yourself at the end of this year, beginning, uh, re- getting ready for the beginning of the new year. And you say, I need to be better in the coming year than I've been in the past year. And I can't tell you what that is. I can't tell you what you need in, in your own life. But you've looked and you said, I need to do that. Well, the only reason you have said that is because you have looked inward. That's what Isaiah did. During this coming year, we'll be looking inward. We'll be talking not just about things that we need to change, but, but as we look at the inward part in this coming year, things that we need to do, things that we need to be. But not only did Isaiah look upward and inward, he also was forced to look outward as well. Isaiah chapter 6 at verse number 8, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. Here I am, send me. To whom was Isaiah to go? To the sinful people. To the lost folks. The house of Israel. To his own people who were of unclean lips. To deliver the message from God. Unfortunately, in this particular passage, the message for this group of people wasn't a good one. But as we think about ourselves, we have a message of hope. 
We have a message of restoration, a message of salvation that we can carry to others. God had a message to be delivered. And Isaiah volunteered to be the messenger. He volunteered. He said, here I am, send me. And God still has a message to be delivered today. Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. He said to them, go into all the world. Proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. That message is for the world. It's still for the world. It's still today. Again, let me challenge you. As you look outward this next year, will you faithfully proclaim God's message of hope, God's message of salvation, You may have a family member who needs that message. Will you tell them of God's saving grace? Would you tell them of their need of salvation? Would you tell them what God has done for them? You may have a a friend who needs to hear the blessed gospel of Jesus Christ, that He Himself died for them to save them from their sin. You may have a neighbor who lives across the street, who needs the message of God in their life. Maybe their life is messed up. Maybe they need a change in their life. Not just for this life, but for the one to come. Would you tell them? Would you tell the stranger that you meet about what Jesus has done for them? You see... God had a message that He needed delivered. Isaiah said, I'll deliver that message. But God has a message that needs to be delivered. Notice what He said in the book of Mark, to the whole creation, to every creature, depending upon which translation you're looking at. We're not selective. We don't pick and we don't choose. It's our job as the messengers of God to let everyone we know know about God and what He's done and what He wants, their salvation. Isaiah looked upward. Isaiah looked inward. And Isaiah looked outward. The great mission of the church is to so love and learn and live as to call men and women to Jesus Christ. You see, if God's primary purpose for the saved were simply a loving fellowship, He'd go ahead and take believers home. He'd go ahead and get us all into heaven where the spiritual fellowship there is perfect and unhindered by sin and by no disunity or no disharmony, and by no loneliness. But there's a primary reason that we're still here. A reason the Lord allows His church to remain on this earth. And that is to seek and to save the lost. Just as Christ's mission when He came was to seek and to save the lost. That's our job. Will we look outward? in the coming year. 
As we close our lesson this morning, our theme, as again our elders have announced already, is inward, outward, and upward. That presents us a great challenge. A great challenge to be great worshipers and servants of God. A great challenge to look at ourselves to see who we are and what we need. A great challenge to reach out not just to the people here, but the people throughout the entire world upon which we can have an influence. Maybe not personally with our own mouth, but through the missionaries that we send. But you see, it's going to take both what we can do here and what they can do in other places. And so a great challenge lies ahead. I can't help but wonder this morning, should we be, have the opportunity to, to really have been like Isaiah, to have been carried up and to see what Isaiah saw, what a difference it might make in our lives. What we would think, what we would do, how we would act, and how we would react. Would it make a difference? Well, I don't know if it would or not, because if we don't believe what Isaiah said, that he saw, and we don't come to understand that what he said is truth, and believe him about the God that he saw, about what he saw when he looked inward, the same thing that we see when we look inward, and the fact that we need to be looking outward. I really don't know if we were taken into the very presence of God like Isaiah was, if it would make a difference. Folks, what he said was true. It ought to make a difference in our life. It needs to make a difference in our life. It must make a difference in our lives as we seek to live every day for Him. It may be this morning that you need to respond to the Lord's invitation. For whatever reason that might be, we invite you to come. It may be that, that, that you need the prayers of the church. If you need to respond, why don't you do it right now?